All right, everyone, it's time to open up God's Word together. If you will, take out your Bibles, and let's go to Mark chapter 1 together. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 35 today. Mark 1, 35. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard in recent weeks about what is now being called the Asbury Revival up in Wilmore, Kentucky, just a couple hours away from where we are now. Started with a, a chapel service on a college campus just outside of Lexington one Wednesday morning and never stopped for weeks. People were worshiping the Lord and sharing testimonies 24-7. And it was only just this past week that it came to a point to where the, the university and the, uh, the people of Wilmore and everyone decided it would be best to end the public gatherings and you can debate back and forth whether or not that was the decision they should have made. That's for them, not for us to decide. But I want to I want to address a reaction that I've seen in recent weeks to this. You can get online and see all kinds of reactions. Some of them are positive. Some of them are negative. Some people are drawing their own conclusions, and you can read read all day on this stuff. But I've had a couple conversations with people to this effect. I missed it. I missed it. I didn't get to go. And and I feel like I might have missed what the Lord was doing. I never got to go to the revival, and I think I missed it. And it causes me to ask the question to you this morning, and I want to want to kind of address this question throughout the sermon. Are we missing out on God? if we can't get to wherever it looks like God is moving in a powerful way, if we can't go, if we can't be there personally, are we missing out on God? I want to ask that question in relation to this text this morning. I'll show you why here in just a moment. It's going to spring out of the text. But but what if we don't get there where God seems to be moving? Yesterday, my son and I went to the movies. We saw this, this movie, The Jesus Revolution, about the revival that happened in the late 60s and early 70s out of the coast of California. And what if people were seeing that? seems like God's moving in a very powerful way, but I'm stuck here in Kentucky. Am I missing out on God? We see this in other aspects of life, too. Some of us might be asking, what if I never am able my whole life to make a, a journey over to the Holy Land? to be where Jesus walked, to visit Israel and those surrounding places, and to see the place where Jesus died, the place where they say he, he rose from. What if I'm never able to go there? Am I missing out on God? What if I can't make a pilgrimage to the right places and see the right relics, see the right things, meet the right people? Are we missing out on God? Let me read you our text today and show you why I believe this is relevant to what it says here in Mark Mark 1, starting in verse 35 down to verse 39. This is God's word. Mark writes, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. 
Our text is all the way down to verse 39, but I want to focus in almost exclusively the whole time this morning on verse 35. Verse 35. Look with me one more time at verse 35. This is one of the most cherished verses in all the Bible to me. Verse 35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. This morning I submit to you that if you do not get to the place where it seems like God is moving, it seems like God is working, if you do not get there, you are not missing out on God. Because God will give you himself in direct proportion to your hunger and thirst for him. God is willing and ready to give us himself in direct proportion to our hunger and thirst for him. Put it another way, he will give you as much of himself as you want. How much do you want? We see this principle all throughout the Bible. One of the places that I often turn to is Jeremiah 29, verse 13, where God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. A promise from the Lord. In other words, if you seek God with all your heart, he will make sure that you find him. To all those who are seeking God with all of their hearts, God is making sure that they find him, that they have him. God will give us himself in direct proportion to our hunger and thirst for him. The only question is, how much do you want? And so from our text today, I want to give you Four challenges. Four challenges in your own pursuit of God. Four challenges. The first is this. In your pursuit of God, be disciplined. Be disciplined in your pursuit of God. If it is true that God gives us himself in direct proportion to our hunger and thirst for him, and if it is true that he will make sure he is found by us when we seek him with all our heart, then in a sense it is up to you how deeply you know God. It's up to you how deeply you know God. And so if it is, let us discipline ourselves. Let us do whatever it takes. Let us seek him with everything we've got. Let us give of our time and money. Let us invest in everything that we can so that we can seek the Lord. I have a friend who shall remain nameless who has read the Bible over 137 times. This friend also knows God more deeply and more intimately than any man just about that I have ever known. Do you think those two things are coincidences? They're not at all. One is the result of the other. He has put in the time, and therefore he knows God more deeply and more intimately than just about anyone I have ever known. Do you want to know God deeply? Do you want to know him deeply? You have to put in the time. You have to spend the time. Now, now hear me on this. We, we, We are not getting legalistic on this. The goal of your life is not for you to read the Bible 137 times. That's not what I'm saying. The goal is not to spend an exact amount of time every day with the Lord. That's not what I'm saying. God is not disappointed in the single mom of three young kids who squeezes in Bible time and prayer whenever she can find it. 
In fact, he is often more pleased with someone like that than, let's say, a minister who reads the Bible and prays every single day but only gives 15 minutes. It's not about a certain standard for everyone. Only God can judge the heart. Only God can judge your heart. Only you and God know if you are giving him what you can. But, like with the widow who gave two small copper coins, the Lord honors it and is pleased when we give what we can. And so do not hear me saying, if if you're not giving a certain amount of time, God is not pleased with you. That's not what I'm saying this morning. But the principle does remain, those who know God deeply are those who have put in the time. The time. If you want to seek God with all your heart, you're going to have to make sacrifices. You're going to have to make sacrifices if you want him enough. Jesus, it says, got up very early in the morning while it was still dark. And then God alone with the Lord. He got up early in the morning while it was still dark. Will you make sacrifices to know the Lord and to pursue the Lord? Will you make sacrifices of your schedule? Will you make sacrifices of your time? Of your money? Will you make sacrifices of your entertainment? I'm here to tell you, if you want to get up early and read God's word and pray to him before your day starts, you're going to have to go to bed early the night before. It's a sacrifice. It's a giving up of what you would have otherwise done each night so that the next morning can be spent in time with the Lord. Now, I'm not saying you have to read the Bible in the morning. I'll get to that here in just a second. It's not a requirement in Scripture that you have to read in the morning. Some people try to make it one. We'll get to that here in just a second. But I I have to do this. For me, it's the morning, and I have to go to bed early each night so that I can get up early the next day. I could stay up. I could do other things, but then I'd be sacrificing the morning time. It's a sacrifice one way or the other. What are you going to sacrifice? What do you want more? Because I'm here to tell you, people do what's important to them. People do what's important to them. You do what's important to you. You can tell me God is important to you, but if I look at your schedule and the way you spend your time, I will find out real quick what is actually important to you. Think about this. If someone that you did not know watched a video recording of your life every minute, every day for a month, a month straight, they watched a video recording of your life of every minute of every day for a whole month, what would they conclude your priorities were? What would they conclude? Let's just be honest with ourselves right now. Can we be honest? Right? You're not not talking to the person next to you about this. We're in our heads. We're in the safety of our own minds right now so we can be honest with ourselves, right? So let's be brutally honest. What would they conclude our priorities were? Would God even make the top five? Prioritize time with the Lord, brothers and sisters. Prioritize it. There are so many things in your life clamoring for your attention. There are so many things in your life that seem so very urgent. But notice what it says in verse 37. Verse 37 of our text. They found Jesus and they said to him, everyone's looking for you. Where have you been? You you get the tone. Try to to feel the tone coming from Simon and the other disciples here. Where have you been? Everyone's been looking for you. 
There's, there are things that are urgent. There are ways that you are needed. And what was he doing? He was alone, prioritizing time with the Lord. There's all kinds of things that are going to seem urgent. There's all kinds of things in life that, that seem like they need our attention. What is most important? And if we do not focus in and prioritize what is most important, the urgent, quote-unquote, will squeeze it out. It'll squeeze it out. And next thing you know, you'll be back in here next Sunday saying, I just didn't have time. I didn't have time to spend with the Lord because of all the things that I had going on in my life. Brothers and sisters, people do what they want to do. We do what we want to do. We make time for things that are important enough to us. And so be disciplined in your pursuit of God. Number two, second challenge, get alone. Get alone. This one's scary for some of us. We learn from the other gospel writers that what Jesus is doing here, going out to a desolate place where he prayed, this is not a one-time occurrence. This happened often in Jesus' life. In fact, Luke 5.16 says exactly that. He would often withdraw to desolate places and pray. We see numerous other times where he does this. He got alone with the Lord in solitude and in silence. Solitude and silence. Those two words are foreign to many people today. We have learned to fill our lives, every minute of our lives, with background noise, have we not? Background noise, every minute of our lives. We're riding in the car, we've got to have something on. If we're at home, got to have the TV on, even if it's in the background. Even if we want to get a lot of work done, want to get some serious work done, what do we do? We go to a coffee shop where there's a bunch of background noise, people talking. My friends, silence and solitude scares some people. Because you're alone with yourself, with your own heart. Many people, when they begin to practice silence and solitude, trying to seek the Lord, they have to give it time before the noise in their minds calms down. There's noise going on even in our heads when when there's not noise outside. We've trained ourselves like this. But that's not what we see in Scripture. Habakkuk 2 verse 20 says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. If we give a period of silence in a worship service in between two elements of the service, and and that that silence extends on for a little bit, we all get antsy, don't we? We all get antsy. But silence can be wonderful. For us when we're sitting before the Lord. Now, again, this is easier for some than others. Some of you might have heard the story of Susanna Wesley. She was the mother to John and Charles Wesley. Many of you know who they are. She had 19 children, nine of them died in infancy. But even after that, with that many kids in the house, how was she supposed to be able to find alone time with the Lord? How was she supposed to get alone with the Lord with that many kids in the house needing her attention? And so what she did was she trained her kids in this. And she was such a a strong mother that her kids 
listened and obeyed when this happened. She said to her kids, if you come in the kitchen or if you come in the living room or whatever room in our house and you see me with my apron over my head, if you see me with my apron over my head, that means I am with the Lord. That's my alone time with the Lord and I'm not to be disturbed and the older children are to take care of the younger children. And that's how she made sure she got time with the Lord, even in a house full of kids. Silence and solitude and alone time with the Lord is one of the ways that God has ordained that we should grow deeper in our relationship with him. Listen to to what Don Whitney writes in his excellent book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. In his chapter on silence and solitude, he writes this, Without exception... The men and women I have known who've made the most rapid, consistent, and evident growth in Christ-likeness have been those who develop a daily time of being alone with God. This time of silence is devoted to Bible intake and prayer, and this solitude they enjoy an occasion of private worship. Without exception, everyone that he knew that was growing evidently in their relationship with the Lord and in Christ's likeness, without exception, every single one of them was someone who had made it a practice to get alone with the Lord every day. That is my experience as well, brothers and sisters. Psalm 46, verse 10 tells us, we, we read it earlier in the scripture reading, call to worship, be still and know that I am God. We need to be regularly taking time to get alone with the Lord, to be still in his presence and to know that he is God. And so be disciplined in your pursuit of the Lord. Get alone and be intentional, number three. Be intentional in your pursuit of the Lord. Be intentional. Notice how Jesus got away specifically to pray. He went away to get alone and he he had a, a plan. He was intentional about it. He was getting alone to pray. When do you pray? When do you pray? Many people pray when they're driving or when they're exercising or when they're cleaning the house or when they're mowing the grass. But I ask you this morning, when do you set aside time to do nothing but pray? Do you set aside time to do nothing but pray? When do you spend focused time in prayer? Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, pray continually. Pray without ceasing, yes and amen. We can always throw up prayers to the Father, no matter what we are doing, no matter what we are going through, no matter what time of day it is, we can always be praying, yes. But if we do not have a consistent time where we stop and center down on God, and pour our hearts out before him. We will not grow as much as we could in our life with God, and we will not have as much of him as we could in our hearts. Furthermore, when prayer is always done on the go, as many people do, when prayer is always on the go, it's almost always 100% asking for things. Have you noticed this? When we pray on the go, it's almost always we're asking God for things. God, please do this. Please help me here. Please help this person. Please do this. But prayer is not just about asking for things. Prayer is about communion 
with the Lord, communing with him, deepening our relationship with him, praising him, confessing sin to him, thanking him. When are we, play, when are we praying like that? Prayer is meant to deepen our relationship with the Lord and to make it more intimate. When are we praying like that? And so I challenge you to plan for this. Plan for this. Plan this week. When will you spend time alone with God in Bible reading and prayer this week? Think about it. Think about tomorrow. When will you do it? What's your schedule like? If you don't think intentionally about it, it probably won't happen. If you think, I'll just do it whenever I have the time, you won't get the time. We've got to make the time. We've got to put this into our schedule and then schedule other things around it. What could be more important? Plan for it this week. Think about it right now. When am I going to spend time with the Lord this week? Do you need to go home and look at your schedule? Do you need to really think hard about, okay, what's the best time? We'll talk about that here in just a second. Do you need to have a conversation with your spouse? Hey, I need some alone time with the Lord. So do you. How can we make this happen for each other in our busy lives? But we've got to plan for it. Be intentional, brothers and sisters. Let me give you some practical suggestions on this. This very practical, very nuts and bolts type of things. Practical suggestions on spending time with God. Number one, find the time of day that's right for you. Find the time of day that's right for you. Okay? Nighttime, horrible for me. Might be good for you. Horrible for me. If I try to read before I go to bed, I'm a zombie. I don't, read any, I don't remember anything that I'm reading. I, I, I kind of can't focus. I'm about to fall asleep. Morning is my time. That's my time. But it's not for everybody. I had a friend in college named Jeff. He used to spend time with the Lord at midnight. Every night around midnight. And I, I would say, what are you doing? You're making a big mistake. And he said, no, you don't understand. At midnight, I am ready to go. I am wired. I'm a night owl. And I was like, I'm, I'm glad you're like that because I'm not. So find the time of day that's right for you. What time of day is right for you? Put away distractions. When it's time to sit down with the Lord, put away distractions. I have to turn my computer off in that office when it's time for me to spend time with the Lord. It has to be off. It's not just asleep. It's shut down. Because if I have access to it and I can go check this and check that and check this and check that, I'm so distracted that sometimes it, it, it interrupts my Bible time and I get off on other things that are way less important. So before I leave the office every day, I print off my Bible reading for the next day. I actually read on sheets of paper. So I print it off. I set it on the desk. I get the pen and the, the highlighter out and set it right there. And then I turn the computer off, shut it down so that when I come in in the morning, that distraction's not there. You've got to put away distractions. Keep a prayer list. Keep a prayer list. Have you ever told somebody, I'll pray for you, and then not prayed for them? You ever forgot? I have. Sure, I'll pray for you. I'm going to pray about that. And then I didn't do it. When are you going to pray for people? If you don't have a set time where you pray, and if you don't have a prayer list, you will pray much more consistently for many things, if you keep a prayer list. Now, you don't want to just pray for things like prayers more than just asking for things. But having a prayer list is very important. Very important so that you can actually be praying for the people who need your prayers. right? And then we want to pray in other ways, too. We want to praise the Lord. We want to thank the Lord. So don't think that it's only about asking God for things. But I do encourage you to keep a prayer list. 
And then get in the habit and a rhythm. Get into a habit and a rhythm. Make it the same place, the same time every day. Right? When I come in in the mornings to the office, I sit down at that desk, I get out my diet mountain dew, and I'm ready to spend time with the Lord. Right? Make it a routine. Make it a habit. Set yourself up in a place where you enjoy being. Make it the same place and same time every day so that you can kind of train your mind and your body. This is when I spend time with the Lord. If your schedule changes periodically, drastically maybe, make it the same time and place on certain days and then the same time and place on other days. I've had times in my life where Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, it had to be the same time, but then like Tuesdays and Thursdays, it had to be a different time because of the way my schedule worked. But in all of this, my challenge to you is be intentional. Jesus got up, he left the house early while it was still dark and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, fourth and finally, my challenge to you is this. Hunger and thirst for God. Hunger and thirst for God. Now, this one's kind of an odd one. Because I'm, I'm telling you to hunger and thirst for God. But you can't just make someone have a desire. You can't just make someone have a desire. I don't care how many times you tell me to like cauliflower. I just don't. Right? You can tell me all you want. I can think it's good for me, but I put it in my mouth and it tastes horrible. So you can't, you can't create a desire for someone. Now, you can cultivate a desire. You can cultivate something like that, but, but you can't just create something. I wish I could. I wish I could make some of you love the Lord. I, I cannot tell you how much I wish I could give some of you a desire for God and a hunger and a thirst for his word and just put it right inside of you and you would have it. I wish that, but it's not how it works. You can lead a horse to water, right? You can only lead it to water. You can cultivate a desire true. You can make it grow, but there's a very real, real sense in which either you have this or you don't. You have this or you don't. If you look at me and say, John, why do you desire the Lord so much? A big part of the answer is, I don't know, I just do. And honestly, if you're being honest with yourself, and I was to talk to you about this, for, for some of you, you'd look back at me and you could say, honestly, John, I, I just don't. I just don't. And I understand that. And that's okay. It's okay if that's where you're at. But hear me on this. This is something the Lord has to put inside of us. The Lord has to put it inside of us. I did not decide one day when I was younger, I'm, I'm going to start desiring the Lord right now. Yeah, we decide all kinds of things. I'm going to start following the Lord. I'm going to start reading the Bible. But the desire, I didn't decide to have that desire. The Lord put it there. When I pray for this church, when I go through my prayer list in the mornings, I've got a prayer list that has one, two, and three, and then a bunch of other stuff. I've got one, two, and three because I want those three things to be the top every time. It's, it's family, and then it's some people that I know and love that don't know Jesus, praying for their salvation, and then it's this church. And when I pray for this church, every time I pray, the first thing I say to the Lord every single time is, God, would you please give our people a hunger and a thirst for you and for your work? That's the first and most important thing I pray for us. I pray that God would start a revival in our hearts 
Think about that revival that we talked about earlier. That revival comes and goes. But what happens in the everyday life of those students at Asbury going forward? What happens in the everyday, ho-hum, normal way of life that they're going to live? What happens when they're no longer college students? What happens when they're 40? What happens when they're 50? What happens? How do, how do, they, how do they experience God when there's not a revival going on? Revivals are wonderful. If the Lord wants to do a revival, it's a wonderful thing. And often many people are saved and many people grow in their holiness a lot faster than in normal times of life. But what happens after it's over? The real question that I have for each and every one of you is, what's going on in your heart between you and the Lord? How much do you want the Lord? Because he is ready and willing to give himself to us in direct proportion to our hunger and our thirst for him. So how much do you want him? My prayer for you is that you would want him. That you would desire him. David is one of our greatest examples in scripture of this. He called it a soul thirst. A thirst in his soul. Listen to David writing in Psalm 42, 1 through 2. He says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Or listen to his words from Psalm 63, starting in verse 1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Do you, do you feel the desire language there? He doesn't just obey the Lord. He loves the Lord. He desires the Lord with every ounce of his being. I want that. If you don't want the Lord right now and you're being honest with yourselves, do you want to want the Lord? Do you want the desire? Because God honors that small step of faith, that small step of faith saying to the Lord, God, I don't want you, but I want to want you right now. Brothers and sisters and all who are here, all who may be listening, whom I cannot call my brothers and sisters. The greatest happiness in all the world is at your fingertips. The greatest happiness in the whole world is right there at your fingertips waiting for you. God will give you as much of himself as you want. But so many say to God, like God said to the waves when he created this world, this far and no further. And they forfeit the happiness that could be theirs. We all want to go to heaven, right? Some of us may not care, but most of us in here, I think, want to go to heaven. Why do we want to go to heaven? Because it's going to be perfect. It's going to be perfectly happy, perfect happiness for all eternity, right? Eternal life is perfect happiness, right? 
Listen to what Jesus says in John 17, verse 3, as he's praying to God. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom you have sent. Eternal life begins now. Eternal life is knowing God. That's eternal life. And so, I plead with you this morning to do what David said in Psalm 34, verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Would you give him a shot? Would you taste and see how good he is and how much he can satisfy your thirsty soul? Because there's nothing like it. And it's right there waiting for you at your fingertips. And so right now, I'm going to end the sermon and we're going to give a few moments for us to pray. And I challenge each and every one of you to go to the Lord right now and to pour your heart out before him in whatever way that you need to, with whatever words that are coming out of your soul and out of your heart right now. Cry out to the Lord and he will meet you and he will answer. And after we pray silently, individually for a few moments, we'll come back and we'll have an invitation time where anyone who needs to respond to God's word publicly can do so. Let's pray.